0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining the broadcast today. This is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. We appreciate you tuning in today. We're doing a study on the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I've entitled the message today, Our Christian Duty. What is the duty of being a Christian? especially in this day and age. And part of what Peter talks about in his book is the whole concept of how do we respond when we're going through suffering. Now I find this quite an interesting subject when you think about how different people respond to suffering. Uh, some people try to live in denial, right? And uh, say, well, I'm not really suffering that bad, and uh, things aren't really that bad, and, and they try to escape by denying it. Uh, well, there's other people that say they take a real stoic approach to suffering, and they figure, well, you know, as I go through this time of suffering, I just got to suck it up and uh, go through it, uh, because the trying of your faith produces perseverance, and uh, they almost get uh, really stoic about it. And so as we look at this whole subject of suffering from First Peter chapter 2 in a greater context, of what is our christian duty now when you think about duty sometimes we think that word is a a word that is something that is really difficult to kind of like i gotta muster through something i gotta kind of push my way through it it's my duty to do it i don't feel like doing it but i've got to do it Uh, when i think about christian duty i don't look at it from such a negative uh, standpoint i look at it as our obligation as believers Now, Peter wrote this very strong epistle, and he wrote it with the purpose of encouraging us to go through difficult times with our chin up, not being discouraged, not being stoic, uh, not being in denial, but realizing that we live in very strange times. As a matter of fact, I think about how bad our times are right now. They are much like it was during the early church. And let me just give you a few examples of why I think that. Uh, This month, June of 2022, Abortion activists interrupted Lakewood Church worship services uh, in Houston, Texas. Three women stripped down to their underwear in the church, and they began shouting, My body, my choice. Now they were escorted out of the church, and Pastor Joel continued preaching, uh, which drew cheers and applause from churchgoers. You know, think about the news breaking here uh, about the recent decision by the Supreme Court, uh, and it looks like, from all that we can tell, is that Roe v. Wade will be overturned. As a result of this decision, Catholic churches have been vandalized and masses disturbed. When some Tampa bay Rays baseball players made what they call the faith-based decision not to wear rainbow-colored logos on the uniforms during Pride night of their home game, critics called them homophobic, and they tweeted these words, maybe you should read the Bible once or twice. The Carolina Panthers will have an openly transgender cheerleader next year. Our bar in Dallas, Texas, hosted a Drag the Kids to Pride drag show last Saturday, during which children walked with dancers down the aisle and gave dollar bills to the performers. Pizza Hut is promoting a book that celebrates drag kids, aimed at children in pre-kindergarten all the way up to third grade. And now these are just a few examples of where our culture is. Uh, right now, it seems like the only thing that you cannot be judging is anybody's lifestyle to do something crazy. Uh, you can judge everything else, but don't judge a person's right to live in an immoral lifestyle. In the Old Testament, Daniel is a model for what I think we should use when it comes to our relationship with government, when it comes to oppression by our government officials, when it comes to how we should respond in times of suffering. The Babylonians were given authority over the Jews because of the Jews' disobedience. Now, I think we need to really drive home that point. Daniel finds himself in Babylonian captivity, not because of his personal sin, but because his nation as a whole were disobedient. Now, Daniel worked himself into the highest levels of this pagan and unbelieving Babylonian government. Although the rules respected Daniel's God, their lives and actions show they didn't believe. Now, Daniel served the king as a true servant when he requested the wise men not to be executed when they could not interpret the king's dream. Uh, You probably remember that. They had a dream that could not be interpreted, and so now Daniel is called onto the scene. As he's called onto the scene in front of the royal court, uh, he had these friends of his that refused to bow to the idol erected by King Nebuchadnezzar. And as a result, they were sentenced to death in the fiery furnace. Now, I'm assuming that you're very familiar with that story in Daniel chapter 3. Their response was confident faith. They didn't defend themselves, but instead they told the king their God would save them. And they added a little phrase, well, even if God decides not to save them, they would not worship, they would not serve the gods of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, after the Medes conquered Babylon, Daniel continued to serve faithfully, and he began to rise in power within the government. And Daniel faces another dilemma. Now he faces governors and satraps that are trying to trick the king into signing a decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So first we have the furnace, the death by the furnace. God delivers them through that. And now we see Daniel facing a den of lions if he did not bow before the statue that was made of King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel responded directly, in full view of everyone. He disobeyed that order. It is very clear. It says now, Daniel, Daniel 6.10, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and he prayed. And he gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. I, I love how that is put together, right? Daniel is not starting to pray because it's illegal. It was his custom to pray three times a day up in that upper room with his windows open facing Jerusalem. Three times a day, he would nail and pray before God. You see, Daniel was completely loyal to any ruler placed over him until or except if that ruler ordered him to disobey God. At that moment. When a choice had to be made between the world and God, Daniel chose God, as should all of us. Now, with that as a backdrop, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 13, going down to verse number 20. This is the New Living Translation version. For the Lord's sake, says Peter, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials that he has appointed. For the king has been set up to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that you should honor their lives with a silent obedience. God's will that you honor live honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers, fear God and respect the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you to do, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you'll get no credit for being patient if you are being beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Well, I want you to know during this broadcast that we honor God by submitting to human authority. Now, as I look at this message and I think about all that's going on in our culture today, you see, the Christian duty is the smart and the right thing to do. And so let's look at what our duty is. I think, first of all, we should be honoring God and submitting to authority. I'm going to share with you four biblical authority structures, and I'm going to share with you why we should submit to those authorities, and when it is okay for us not to submit to those authorities. But as an understanding of where government is to be established and why government is established, we look at Romans chapter 13. Paul says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority given except that which God has established. So here Paul is reminding us that God is the ultimate control, in ultimate control, and he places people in authority over us, these governing authorities, and God has placed them in those positions. Paul continues by saying, the authorities that exist have been established by God. And, And then he says, consequently, when we rebel against those authority, we are rebelling not against those authorities directly, but against God directly, who has instituted those authorities. And those who do will bring judgment upon themselves. Paul's making it very clear here. When we rebel against the authority that God has placed over us, we are actually rebelling against Him. And then verse number seven says, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So Paul reminds us here, God establishes these governing authorities. God expects us to live under those authorities, except when they are commanding us to go contrary to God's word. Paul reminds us that we should even be paying taxes because we owe those taxes. We should pay those taxes. We should give respect to those who are over us. We should honor those whom honor is due. Now, as I think about biblical structures and biblical authority, uh, they're basically, I think, four different areas Human authorities are four different areas that God has established kind of as a chain of command. Uh, The structure goes, and it it has nothing to do with the superior or the inferior of the person in these positions. It's just that God has ordered things, and God is a God of order, not of chaos. And so he understands what it takes to live in a civilization uh, where order is ruling today. So the first structure is found within the family. And basically, the structure works this way. You have a husband, you have a wife, and you have children. God entrusts husbands with the leadership of the family unit. A husband is to love his wife as he loves himself. A wife is to submit to the leadership of her husband, coming alongside him as a helpmeet. Parents are responsible to train their children, and children are to honor and obey their parents. Now, there's a lot of biblical uh, examples of this, and and there's some strong biblical support for the fact that God has orchestrated the family, husband being the head, wife being under the husband, children being under the husband and wife. As we think about this structure, this is a structure that brings order to the family. Now, the family is, I believe, the fundamental uh, unit, and that's why the family is under attack constantly under attack. From the definition of what a family is to the definition of what a marriage is, there is this constant attack on the family. But God has set up the family in such a way that it is bringing order and chaos and peace to a civilization. There's another structure that God has set up. The first is the family, and I think that's the most important human structure that God has set up. The second would be government. God has leaders, national leaders, and local officials. And so it goes national leaders, local officials, citizens. Or here in the United States, national leaders, state leaders, local officials, and then citizens. In Scripture, we are instructed to respect and obey government authorities and the ordinances that are put forth and to live honorably within our communities. National leaders and local officials are to punish evildoers and, and they're honoring those who do well. And this is what Peter is driving home. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. But Paul echoes that same understanding, that we are to be respectful of government officials because God has placed them over us. Now, this is even the case when we don't agree with those who are over us. We are to respect them because of the position they're in, not necessarily because they are worthy of respect but because of the position God has placed them in. The same is true with husbands and wives in their relationships and children honoring their father and their mother. It doesn't say that you're just to honor those who are honorable. We honor them because they have been placed over us. And when I think about the sacrifice that a husband and wife makes for their children and bringing those children into this world... We uh, are so happy that we just have received our first grandson. God has blessed us with a wonderful grandson, and we are so excited about having this uh, little boy, James Robert, uh, in our lives. But, you know, James Robert doesn't understand all that his mother and father went through to bring him into this world. For over 24 hours, my wife my daughter rather, was in labor and delivery, and she went through a lot of a difficult time bringing that child into this world. As a matter of fact, uh, it took them 45 minutes to stitch her back up and put her back together after he was born. And this is after hours and hours of intense labor and intense pain and suffering. Finally, little James was born. Thankfully, he's healthy, eight pounds, uh, three ounces, 20 inches long, and we're so blessed to have him. But I think about what Mom especially went through to bring him into this world. You see, God understands the pain of childbirth. God understands that just because your mom brought you in this world, she is worthy of your honor and worthy of your respect. Yeah, I found something else about moms. You know, I think most moms want to do the right thing. Sometimes they're in a situation in their lives where they can't always make good decisions. They can't always do wise things. But I think the bottom line is most moms... They want to do what's right for their kids. They love their kids. They want their kids uh, to grow up in a healthy and a safe environment, and uh, they want what's best for their kids. And and sometimes they can't deliver that because of their circumstances, but we are to still show honor. So if you're a child listening to me, even if you're an adult child, you owe your mom a, a debt of gratitude. You owe your mom and your dad respect. Well, I said there's four authority structures. The first is the family. The second is government. Here's the third one. The church, church leaders and church members. Within the church, the leadership is the pastors and elders, and depending on how you have your polity set up in your church, our church, we have pastors, elders, deacons, and then we have different ministry leaders and teachers. Uh, Within the church, this is how a healthy body of Christ is formulated. Believers are to honor and to respect the leaders, and they are to submit to one another, and they're to walk within humility. Uh, You know, one of the best things that we did as a church is we reorganized our leadership structure, uh, I guess, about 10 years ago, and we uh, were very much driven by a a pastor-led church, uh, which is nothing wrong with that. I think the pastor ought to be the leader within the church, but I think as I studied Scripture... Uh, There's more of a plurality of leader, and obviously the buck has to stop somewhere, but we incorporated having elders within our church, and they are involved with the spiritual oversight of the church. They're involved with a vision of the church. Uh, They're involved with uh, uh, different decisions in regards to church discipline and what we do and what we don't do, and uh, they oversee the budget and all that. And then we have deacons, and the deacons basically uh, are the workhorses within the church. They're over various ministries within the church, and then we have small group leaders, and uh, they are the teachers of our church, and, and all these leaders bring about a healthy body of Christ. So as a believer within a church, you're to honor, respect your leaders, and you submit to one another. You walk in humility. So we have the family, we have government, we have the church, and then we have business. This is where employees and employers have a relationship where employers are challenged to act with equity and care as they oversee their employees. They're to pattern their behavior after God himself, who is the authority, all authority. Employees are responsible to serve well, doing their work wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. And the bottom line with all these different authorities and structures that God has created, everyone is accountable to God. Each person is accountable to God for his actions whether he is in authority over others or whether he's in a position under the authority of others. God is not prejudiced by culture. God is not prejudiced by education or position or wealth. He will judge each person according to his righteous standards. So as followers of Christ, our first duty is to understand we should honor God and submit to authority. Here's the second thing we got to understand with our duty. Number two, as followers of Christ... We are to be free from evil, but we're to be a slave to God. You see, the gift that we have received in salvation is so unimaginably great that all of the other joys in life pale comparison to the gift that God has given us. When we think about Christian freedom, it was William Barclay who said, independence must be blasted clean out. There must be no such thing left, only freedom. Which is very different. Freedom is the ability to not insist on my own rights, but to see that God gets his. Barclay put it this way only in God's joyful slavery is there true freedom. Freedom doesn't mean being free to do as we like, it means being free to do as we ought. In other words, we're free from evil, we're a slave to God, and God does this so that we can be freed up not to do our own thing, but so that we can be freed up so that we can be a blessing to God. We can serve others. In Romans chapter six, it says, but now that you have been set free from your sin, you become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. And Paul said to young Timothy, he says, first of all, then I urge you that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. For the kings and for all those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That is good and that is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. I want to encourage you today. Live a life that is free from evil, and the best way to do that is be a slave to God. Now, I know we don't like being a slave to anybody, but God owns everything. He is the one who takes care of all of our needs. So we as Christians have this duty to be set free from evil and to be a slave to God. Well, there's a third thing that we have as a duty as followers of Christ. And Peter makes it very clear. As we were reading that passage, verse number 17, 1 Peter chapter 3, Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the King. As we look at that little phrase there, we are told that we should be living a life that is respecting everyone. Now respect given to everybody, but there's a special kind of love that we have for believers. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 that we are to be devoted to one another in love. Honor not one another above yourselves. Now I think this is kind of tough for men as we think about this because men, we tend to think of love as not giving trouble to others. Women tend to think of love as taking trouble from others as we look at loving the believers. If we're devoted to one another, if we're honoring one another, we're going to be putting them above ourselves, respecting everyone, loving believers. Let me ask you a question. Is there somebody right now that you are not having that loving feeling toward? Is there somebody in your life that's a fellow believer that you need to reach out to and show the love of Christ to that person? You know, women have this natural tendency, I think, to be more loving than men. Somebody said, a woman loved by her husband will grow in lovingness. A man respected by his wife will become more respectable. But we're told to love everyone, especially those who have the household of faith. Is there somebody that you need to get things right with? Is there somebody that you've been harboring resentment toward or bitterness toward? Oh, why don't you go to that person? and get that issue resolved don't let it fester don't let it grow uh, you discover as you talk to that person with the right timing and right tone uh, and pray before you go Considering yourself lest you also fall you discover as you go to that person you can win over brother i have seen it happen over and over and over again where i go to a brother or sister in christ and and i said you know i i've had some bad feelings about you and and i just want to ask you to forgive me you know what amazing thing happens uh, that relationship is actually made stronger I remember many years ago, uh, I, I said something as a snide comment, and uh, one of our, our members of the of the worship team was up there worshiping, and you know, I, I had this I have this strong belief, right? I believe preachers should preach and singers should sing. I don't think preachers should sing, and I don't think singers should preach. And uh, so one day we had uh, this worship leader uh, that was, in his opinion, waxing eloquence. He was going on and on and on and on and uh, really trying to introduce the next song. And I I had enough and I kind of lost my patience. And finally, I said, "Now, my my voice kind of carries a little bit. And I meant to kind of say this under my breath, but the whole congregation heard it. And I just said to this person, I said, let's get to the song. Enough of this expose about the song. Let's sing the song. And uh, and after I said that, I said, oh, man, I said that and I regretted it. And so I had to apologize not only to that person. But I apologized to the whole congregation, and uh, you know I just couldn't believe that my little tongue got out of got out of control that fast, and I said something like that, and and I regretted it as soon as it got out of my mouth. I said, "Oh man, I shouldn't." You know that's the one thing when you get words out of your mouth, once they're out there, you can't get them back, right? And uh, the damage was done, and so I apologized to the congregation, and then I personally apologized to that individual, and I said, "I just cannot believe I said that to you," and uh, you know that guy was so gracious. And he says, you know, uh, you, you you were right. I, I was kind of expounding too much on the songs. You've always told me, just sing. I don't give a little sermon in there. I just sing. And, uh, but anyway, to this day, this man is a dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, well, I got one other thing here when it comes to duty. We'll finish this message tomorrow. But you're also to honor your employer. You're to submit to the good and even to the harsh. John Maxwell said, you know, the greatest day in your life, And in mine is when we take total responsibility for our attitudes. That's the day we truly grow up. Maybe it's time to grow up when it comes to your relationship with your boss, when it comes to your relationship with that person that God has placed over you. Well, we're going to talk about this more tomorrow. I hope that you'll come and join me. We're going to talk about the government's duty and our responsibility to the government tomorrow. But you know, the Bible is very clear. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to all people. So join me tomorrow as we continue on the subject of the Christian's duty, our responsibility in these days that we're living in. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to send me a text message, if you have a question or a prayer request, 252-267-2365, 252-267-2365.